not in order. They're kind of bouncing around, and I will try to share the best I can from the Word of God. I love to share from the Word of God. I love to dig in the Word of God. You know I love therefores. Uh, Dwayne, I've got a bit of an echo, if you can adjust for me, please. Um, I love to share. I love to dig into the Word of God, to share the meaning of the Word of God. There's a lady here today that uh, almost 50 years ago answered a simple question, and I'll talk to about that later, but answered a simple question and was a catalyst to stimulate my life or stimulate what I love about studying the Word of God. Um, but if you would with me, I know you've stood a, a long time before, but could we stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? I wanna, I'll shorten it up because of uh, time constraint here and fear of being long-winded. Um, in chapter 15 of Luke, Jesus talks about the prodigal son. He talks about the sheep. He talks about God's concern about the soul. In chapter 16, he goes into a parable, if you will, about a steward. Not steward little, the mouse. A steward, someone that's a stewardship, someone that's in charge. In verse six, chapter 16, verse 1 also, Jesus, you don't even know who Steward the Mouse is, do you? Okay. <laughs> okay. Also, Jesus said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a manager of his estates, and an accusation against this man was brought to him that he was squandering his master's possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear? Turn in your accounts for your management of your management for you cannot be my manager any longer. In other words, he was being audited. And, and the manager of the estate said to himself, what shall I do? Seeing that my master is, is taking the management away from him, I am not able to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Verse 4, I, have, I know what I'll do. He says, I'll come, and I'll bring all, I'll, I will um, have my master's debtors, I'll do something for them that they may accept me, uh, when I'm put out of my management. So he summoned all the master's debtors one by one, and he said to the first one, now he, su he said they summoned all of them, and he, they only give us two examples. But anyway, he calls them, and he says to the first one, um, he said, how much do you owe? And he says, uh, 900 gallons of oil. And he said, take back the written acknowledgement of obligation, sit down quickly and write 50, or about 450 gallons. Um, after that, he called in another and said, how much do you owe? And he said, about 100 measures or 900 bushels of wheat. And he said, take back your written acknowledgement of obligation and write 80, about 700 bushels. And his master praised him, the dishonest, unjust manager, for acting shrewdly and prudently. For the sons of this age are shrewder and more prudent and wiser in relationship to their own, in their own generation, to their own age and kind than the sons of light. But Jesus gives the explanation now, and I tell you, make friends for, those, for yourself by means of unrighteous mammon, that's deceitful riches, money and possession, so that when, when it fails, they, those who have, you have favor with, may receive you and welcome you into the everlasting habitation and dwelling. Jesus said in verse 10, he who is faithful in a little thing is faithful also in much. 
He who is dishonest and unjust in a little thing is dishonest and unjust in much. Therefore, there's one of those therefores, they're there for a reason. If you have not been faithful in the case of unrighteous man and or deceitful riches and money, who will entrust you to true riches? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I stand here today in need of your presence and your power to um, accurately, to concisely share what your word says, to um, pour out my heart, if I would, Lord, today, as it would today to people that I, I know, that I love, Lord, and to share what you laid on my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I sincerely believe that over the years this pulpit has hosted and does host today some of the greatest speakers that I've ever heard in terms of being able to share the Word of God and to place you in the Word of God um, was uh, Lowell Hulk Halter a few weeks ago, I hope I said that close, said that you can always take Scripture and place yourself in Scripture. You can always find yourself there. You see, Scripture is a, is a book full of metaphors, full of types, full of examples, showing you ourselves, showing our lives. You can always find yourself there, and I hope to do that this morning. Uh, circumstances, situations, conditions, we can, we can put ourselves into the story. This will tell us what God wants for us, what God has for us. Um, I want to talk to you about the grace of giving this morning, and by no means... Will I be able to convey, to cover everything about giving? There's a certain point I want to make at the end, and that was my goal, and I didn't know that we were, we were doing dedication and this and that this morning, and I'm thinking, God, you must have your hand on it because there's a reason. We have so many visitors. I want to reassure the visitors, I'm not the norm. A pastor asked, would you teach the kids or teach a, do a sermon? And I said, I'm here I am. No, that isn't what happened at all. <laughs> but uh, this church has been an example of giving, exemplified over the years. I had um, a guest in our home recently um, from decades ago who was a pastor here. And he said, Reggie, I've used this church as an example of giving. He says, way back when, when he served here, there was a man that had uh, livestock he said, that man not only gave to the church, but that man rented a locker and said, there's, there's a locker with your name on it full of meat. Just take what you need. Uh, and he's bragged about this church and its giving. And I, too, have been in the position to uh, count, offer, count offerings over the years and missions and general offerings. And, and it's amazing what this church gives. It's amazing what this church gives in not only finances, but in other areas a week of their time, a week of your paid vacation to go to a camp with, with kids, a week in El Salvador, if you will, to sponsor a, a person in El Salvador. So today I wanna to whet your appetite about giving. I wanna to talk to you about giving. Um, I love studying the word of God and I love what Howard Hendricks' book, and you've heard me quote it before, says about how we should study. And 1 Peter 2.2 gives us this, as newborns babes, and we dedicated a baby this morning, how fitting, desires pure milk of the word that they may grow thereby. That scripture right away gives us three things. 
how we should approach the study of God's Word. With an appetite, with an attitude, and with an aim. Now, a child doesn't wake up in the middle of the night and say, I'm hungry, thereby I need to eat so I can grow. He doesn't think that. He just has an uncomfortable, they have an uncomfortable feeling and something triggers and they soon realize that if I cry out, I will get fed. Um, however, the Word of God tells us that we should have an attitude like a baby. Like a baby grabs for a bottle, we should grab for the Word of God. Like a baby grabs for that nourishment, we should grab for the Word. Uh, our soul needs it. Our, our, our life needs the Word of God. We should desire as much as a baby desires milk and needs milk, I might add. We need an appetite for the Word of God. We should crave the Word of God. There's three types of appetites in the Bible. There's three types of appetites that pertain to the Bible. There's a, it's nasty medicine appetite. It tastes bad, but I know it's good for me, therefore I'm going to take the spoon and I'm going to take it. There's that shredded wheat type of an appetite. Kind of dry, but it's still nourishing. And there's that strawberries and cream appetite. You can't get enough of it. When I grew up, Willard and Phyllis will recognize this right away. They're old people, they're people that melt. Okay, I don't, I'm sorry for saying old. Okay. They're people that melt. When I grew up 50 years ago on the farm, we used to have cream cans, milk cans, in the cooler full of water pop the lid off and we'd skim some cream off the top. Remember that? And we would take that cream over the house, set it in the refrigerator, let it chill a little bit more. It was so thick you could spread it on bread, just like butter. Then we'd dump a little more sugar on that. Oh, that was so good. I could still taste it and I still kind of want it, even though I don't need it. But that's the kind of appetite we should have for God's Word. Cream and, uh, strawberries and cream, something that we hunger and long for that we can't get enough of the stuff. Um, this insatiable appetite of spiritual truth is what Peter talks about. Today, when we look at giving, I want to, first of all, give to you some examples of what God has given us. And if you're putting a note down, if you're trying to keep up, keep up with me at notes, don't worry, I've got a timer set, but you know, timer doesn't mean anything to the guy up here. But uh, if, if you're taking notes down, I call it the ABCs of giving. And I mean that as what God has given. Because first of all, A, he's given us all things. In 1 Peter uh, 1, chapter, uh, verses 3 and 4, he says he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. B, he's given us breath. You look in Acts 7.25, he says he gives all life and breath to all things. That baby first comes out of the womb and takes his first breath. That's God's finger on it, on that child. He gives the baby breath. Uh, C, he gives me counsel. If you look in Psalm 60, 16, 17, it's, he says, I will bless the Lord who, give, who giveth counsel. If you look at, he gives me a drink. Did you know that Jesus offers you a drink? Pardon me, good point right there. When Jesus was making a trip, it says he had to go through Samaria, and he stops at a well. A woman from town comes out who happened to be of ill repute, and uh, he says to the woman, would you give me a drink? Would you draw water from me, for me to get a drink? And the woman looks at him and says, you're a Jew, I'm a, I'm a Samaritan. And Jesus says to her, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is you say to, who says to you, give me a drink, you would ask me to give you a drink of eternal life. So Jesus gives us a drink. He gives us 
eternal life in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is gift, but a gift of God is eternal life. He gives us forgiveness. Psalms 86.5 says, to all who call, he is ready to give forgiveness. To all who call upon him. James tells us he gives more grace in James 4.16, or 4.6, excuse me. But he gives not just grace, but he gives more grace. You can't exhaust grace. Um, H, he heals your wounds. He gives health. He gives you health and he heals your wounds. And maybe some are here today that have health issues, that have wounds that need healing. Jeremiah 30.17 says, For I will restore health to you and heal your wounds. That's a promise from God. That's what he gives you. Um, he gives us inspired word of God. All scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. He gives us justice. The word of God in Psalms 37, 28 says, For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. So he's going to hand out justice. He's going to give you justice. He administers justice in, in Deuteronomy 10, 18. The Lord gives kindness for K. His merciful kindness is great toward us. Uh, he gives us love in, in, in Romans 5, 8. He demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. He gave us love because he died on the cross for us. He, um, he gives us mercy. Lamentations, pastor, I was excited, pastor. He looked at my notes. He read from Lamentations 3. You know what it says? It says uh, that you're not consumed because God gives you mercy. If he wasn't giving mercy, figure the reverse of that. If God wasn't giving you mercy, what would happen? You'd be consumed. So because he gives you mercies, you're not consumed. He puts a new song in my mouth in Psalms 40, verse 3. A way of showing a person favor, uh, he would anoint a head with oil. He anointeth my head with oil. You know, there's some people that need hair that need oil. I would love to have hair to get oily. Uh, but that was a thing that happened when you came when you came to a banquet or when you came to a feast, they would pour oil on your head. Perfumed oil, I might add. In 2 Peter 1.4, he gives precious promises. In, for Q, you didn't think I could find one. He will give his people secure in a quiet resting place. In Isaiah 32.18, uh, uh, Matthew 11.28 tells us he gives you rest, if you call. He gives you a true light in 1 John 2, 28. Uh, he gives you understanding. His word is understanding, and he gives it to you when you call upon him. He gives you value. In the story of um, Jesus was, on the story of the man with a withered hand, that's what it was. There was a man on the Sabbath day who had a withered hand. Pharisees and Sadducees were watching Jesus to see what he would do. So they could trap him, or they think they could trap him. And, uh, and he, said, he said to the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what would you do on the Sabbath day if your sheep fell into a ditch or fell into a well? Would you not help the, the sheep out? And he says, is not this man more important? So he gave this man more value than a sheep. So God gives you and me value. He values us. He gives you wisdom. If you look into Ecclesiastes 2.26, he gives it to you. If, uh, if you look into, I'm going to cheat just a little bit here. God gives exceeding great grace. Just forget the E. Okay, exceeding, X. Uh, God also gives you a yoke. 
The idea of yoke, he says, take my yoke upon you and lean on me, for I am gentle and meek and humble. My idea for years of a yoke was my backpack of a burden that I must do, a backpack of what I, how I should serve. It was a burden. But you know, that's not a yoke. You know what a yoke is? A yoke pulls two things together, or three. A yoke is a beam. You're about my, my size, okay? So we could be equally yoked. Come on, come here. A yoke, if my, if my shoulder and my arm is a yoke, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about tying it together. God isn't giving you a burden that you should carry by yourself. He's giving a burden to you or a yoke to you that ties you to him. And what's he say? Doesn't it not say, lean on me? And so you're pulling it together so that you can pull the load together. Thanks. I'm glad you're my height. I couldn't do that with Justin Olson. I would be unequally yoked. And and Justin would have all the work. The last thing he gives is he gives zeal. You say, how is that possible? How does God give me zeal? Well, if you look in the story about Apollos, uh, he was a native of Alexandria who came to Ephesus. He was cultured, an eloquent man, well-versed and mighty in Scripture. It says that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and burned, with spir- and burned with spiritual zeal. Can I take a time today and push pause for a second? Almost 50 years ago, maybe 48, maybe Phyllis remembers this. She was my Bible school teacher. End of May, 1st of June, I think it was the year that Robert Kennedy was assassinated. I asked a question in Bible school. What does this verse mean? And right now I can't think of the verse. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't, maybe you don't remember it, but I can take you to the place. I can take you to the room at Prairie Bible Church now where I asked Phyllis what that meant. Phyllis, would you raise a hand? I, maybe you don't want to stand, but it's Phyllis. I asked her, what's that mean? And without hesitation, she with zeal told me what it meant. Or at least it seemed to me like you knew what it meant. And it birthed within me something about a teacher. It birthed within me, and I still look back at that of all the things I've done in 50 years and better, 60 years. All the things that I've done, I remember that. I recall when she breathed with zeal into me about the Scripture. And so he gives you zeal. Whether you thought you had zeal that day or not, you had simple information that answered a question. Thank you. I honor you for that. So he, God gives us all these things. I've listed 26 things, and you're hoping he doesn't do 26 things, and you're hoping now I don't give you 26 things that you're supposed to do. I won't. It's 11.42 already. Wow, time flies when you're having fun. Oh, excuse me a second. I've got to recompose myself. My zeal got a hold of me. Um... I think we should ask the question, and it's fair to ask ourselves, as Micah said, oh man, what does God require of us? You see, I think God requires something of us. Uh, we can't, there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, but I think he still requires us something. Requires us to be functioning and, and doing something, giving and serving in some way. It's not going to buy my salvation. It's just an act of what happens with my salvation when I have salvation. And he says, love justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. Second Peter 1.5 says, give all diligence to add. You see, Christianity is not a 
thing that once you have it, you stop, you don't, get it, you don't grow anymore. Christianity says you add to your faith virtue, you add to virtue knowledge, you add to knowledge self-control, you add to self-control perseverance, you add to perseverance godliness, you add to godliness brother love, brotherly love, you add to brotherly love, excuse me, you add to brotherly kindness love. And, and these things need to abound, these things need to happen, these things need to function in our lives he goes on, actually in verse 4, he told us why we need to add to these things. He says, you can be a divine, you can have a divine nature. There's things in my nature that aren't good. Self-control is not a big one for me. I work hard, I try to work hard at that, but there are times it gets away. You know, I'm supposed to add to my self-control. I'm supposed to, be perse- I'm supposed to persevere and press in. Um, God wants us to grow. You know, he didn't write the Bible to satisfy our curiosity, but the Bible was written for us to conform to his image. He didn't, he, he didn't write the Bible and give it to us to be a smarter sinner, but he wrote it so we'd be more like Christ. So as we age, as we grow older in Christ, we should be looking more like Christ. He didn't write it to fill our head with Bible trivia, so we're good at Bible trivia. He wrote it to transform our lives. As we grow and learn, as we persevere in God's word, we will in fact, transform our lives and have a divine image. The unwise steward, and I think here's the point of what Jesus was trying to make here, at least to me it is, it's a parable. Typically in the Bible, if, a, if, a, if Jesus tells a story and there's no names, you can label it a parable. If he tells a story like Lazarus and the rich man, that's a true story. Uh, parables are stories that Jesus told. Time to quit, I can't, I got more to say. Uh, hang on, we'll try to finish up here before, I don't know, before something. Um, Jesus was talking about, I think what he's talking about, managing the small things. And it's interesting that he picked on finances. I don't know why I'm preaching this today. Uh, maybe someone here is struggling in finances. I don't know. But he, pick, he talks about finances, he calls it a small thing. And he says, if you can't handle the small things, how can I trust you with something larger, with things more eternal? Um, You can take that same story and you can go look into uh, sorry. You can look into the scripture where Jesus tells us to be givers where Jesus tells us to, on how we should give, what our guideline is. You see in, this, in, in uh, Matthew, or John, where am I looking at? If I find it. I'm trying to, okay. Matthew 23, 23. I'm trying to make this short now. <laughs> Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, or about the Pharisees, actually. And he calls them a bunch of uh, hypocrites, actually, or religious leaders. They were paying their tithe. And what they would do for their tithe is they would bring in their grain. They would bring in the dill. They would bring in the cumin. They would bring in, what's the other thing? Mint. They would bring in their seeds of their increase. They would lay them down, and they'd go, nine for me, one for you. And we're talking about small stuff here. We're talking about peanuts, really. Less than peanuts. Small seeds. And then Jesus says to them, you know what? You ought to have done that. Pay your tithe, but the weightier things. 
the things of love, the things of, of loving God and serving God, of being just, of being a, a, a helper, to help the widow, help the, help the injured, help the sick. Those things, you're, you're the bigger things in life you haven't done. How can I trust you with those kind of things? How can I trust you with the promises of God, the precious promises of God, if you haven't dealt fairly with the financial part? The financial part is a small thing. The Word of God leads, to, leads us to believe, to teach us, that we should be tithing. Many of you have done that. Julie and I, since we've been married, have practiced the tithe. And we give beyond that. I'm not saying that to brag, but I think our life has been blessed because of it. I think we've lived how we've wanted to live. We've sponsored our son going on mission trips. I, you know, Charles went on three mission trips. I like to tell this story. The first one, he just had left school here and he was in Oral Roberts University. He wrote back for support. He did a concert or something like that and it was fully funded. It didn't cost us anything except of what I wanted to give him for spending money. The second one, uh, he did a thing and he, he earned money. It did pretty good. But the third one, he's been gone three, four years from home and frankly, it was costing me a lot of money. And I was being upset about that little financial matter. And I one day went and talked to my boss. I said, what are you doing this weekend? He said, you know, I'm going to visit my son in detox in Minneapolis. And I'm thinking, you know what? I need to sponsor my boy and not worry about it. I need to give to my boy because he's rewarded me with a son who sought God, who sought God's favor, who went after God, who served God with his talent, with his musical ability. And he taught me that I need to love the heavier things in life, the ministry things in life, the reaching forth, the reaching to. So today, I'm going to conclude here. I'm hoping I've touched a nerve somehow, that the whole point of a sermon is that you touch a nerve, isn't it? And the whole point of a sermon is that you give somebody a chance to acknowledge that. I don't ask you to do it publicly. That's between you and God, but I'm asking you to do it. Maybe God has talked to you about giving. It might be financial. You might have the ability to financially give more or less or more. He might have whispered in your ear, you need to fund this. He might have whispered in your ear, you need to, you need to as, as I think it's Paul that says, you should, you should once a week make up your mind to give and do it cheerfully. And then he says, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, but he, he says with that cheerful giving, he, he says, those who sow, Bountifully, reap bountifully. Those who sow sparingly, reap sparingly. You know, so is your reward, is your reward, reward always money? Some people will say if you give money, you should expect a, a, a number of something money reward. Very possibly true. I'm not sure. I'm not going to stand here or sit here and argue. I'm sitting today. Argue with you that or debate that with you. I just know that God wants you to give. God wants you to take of your resources and he wants you to give. I think the principle is a tithe. It's not a 64th, it's not a 32nd, it's a tithe, it's a tenth. You know where it started at? It, didn't, it wasn't an Old Testament law that God gave. It started with Abraham. The story, chapter 14 of Genesis, Lot was taken prisoner, Abraham's nephew, and Abraham says, he's my family, I'm going after this man. So he saddles up his posse of 300 men, I think the scripture tells us, on their camel, and they take off after this after this. Um, after this group of kings had gotten together and attacked 
And he goes and he subdues them. And he goes and he captures them. And he takes spoils from that raid where he captured and took back Lot and his family and all his possessions. On the way back, he stops and visits a guy by the name of Melchizedek. And what's he do? What's the Bible tell us he does? He gives Melchizedek a tithe, a tenth of, of the increase from that, if you will, that war. I don't know what war you're in today. But God is saying, I, God is saying, I think you should tithe. You say, well, that's, isn't that Old Testament? Well, yes, God made that a rule in the Old Testament. When, when the law came along, he says, to support the Levites, you should bring a tithe of the increase, of your increase, to support them. That's how you fund the church, with tithe. We go beyond that with missions here. We give above the tithe for missions. Um, and I think that's a good principle. Again, so sparingly, right? so, so sparingly, reap sparingly. So bountifully, reap bountifully. I think God looks after you. You're not going to give him. It's only the place in Scripture where God says, where God says to chat, test me in this. You know, it doesn't say you can't test God. It says test me in this giving thing. He said you've robbed me of tithes, but I want to want you to test me in this. See if I'm right on this. You can test me on it if you want. It's God's word. You can, he'll answer for it. Test him in giving. You can't outgive him. Um, the Pharisees were guilty of something. They were guilty of straining their, they, they would strain their drinks so that they wouldn't drink a gnat. You know, the little gnat that bites you in the, the shoulder, in the neck, and the face. They would strain their drink to avoid being um, made unholy, unclean, by a gnat. And Jesus said, you'll strain your drinks to avoid the gnat, the little thing, but you'll swallow a camel, but you're not serving the bigger things. I think giving, tithing, if you will, is just a measure, a test of, of your commitment to God, of your commitment to say, I give you everything because you gave it to me, you gave me all. And I think tithing is just a step in that, just to manage your tithing. Some people, I've heard it said that a pastor said people would come to me and ask that I, to help me, Lord, that I be able to tithe. And he says, you, it's not you be able to tithe. That's where it starts. You have to tithe. That's a step. Am I going to go look at who gave, who gave money today and try to figure out, does that match what I think their income is? No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Tithing is between you and God. Giving is between you and God. You're great givers. You're great supporters. You're great, um, you're great people of commitment here, of, 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 of finishing what you started, as Paul writes to uh, the church in Corinthians. Finish it now. Keep it up. Finish strong. I hope in some way today I've touched some nerve in giving. I hope today in some way I've touched you about maybe needing healing. Maybe you need some reconciliation. Maybe you need some forgiveness. I don't know what your, what your position is, what your need is. I just know that God laid this upon my heart. Um, months ago, when we talked about giving in church in a deacon meeting, I said, Pastor, I give a testimony about giving. Julian and I have practiced tithing for years. I can, I'm not ashamed of that. I, I think that's what you should do. That's the start. Um, there's always something to do around here, by the way. Always something to give. You, don't, you can give. You can, some people gave of a camp this week. Some people are giving to, for kids to go to El Salvador and see ministry firsthand and experience it. 
There's other ways to give. But I think tithing is one of those examples that if you're not willing to step to that, I'm not sure where you go next. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time to share. I thank you, Lord, for helping me to unburden what's been in my heart to share. I pray, Lord, if anyone's here that has a need, has a, even a condition, Lord, that we, should, we, we can pray for them, Lord. That your word says that you will heal and you'll bind, you'll heal wounds. You'll restore health. You'll restore relationships. You'll restore a myriad of things, Lord, because you're God Almighty. I pray in the name of Jesus that they would recognize the reward, not just the heavenly reward, but the reward now of serving you faithfully and giving as they ought to give and sharing as they ought to share and loving one another. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You are free to go, but I will remain up front here if I can pray with you about anything. I thank you. Mark, there's only four minutes left before 12. That's all right. That's about right, huh? Okay. All right. All right. You're all right. Okay. I thank you for coming and listening to me and rant and rave, and I, I, I want to bless you. Thanks for coming. Give. Keep giving. <laughs>